1: Hello, I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia, Julius Baer. I'm in Singapore, and joining me today from Frankfurt is Julius Baer's Chief Economist, David Cole. Hello, David. How are you?
2: Hello, Mark. I'm fine. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Likewise, David. And today, we're talking about tapering. And we're talking about it because the Federal Reserve said last week it's going to do exactly that. Since COVID hit the U.S. in March last year, it's been purchasing 120 billion dollars a month in securities. That's what's called quantitative easing. And it said last week it's going to taper, in other words, reduce those purchases by $15 billion each month. So there should be no more quantitative easing by the middle of next year. And before I ask questions to David, I've got four lined up for him. I'll give a little background to our listeners. The Fed first started its quantitative easing program, way back in March of 2009, which you might recall was the global financial crisis. And the government thought back then, we have a terrible economic crisis here, so to stimulate the economy, wouldn't it be good if we had more money? And every month, it got the Federal Reserve to create billions of dollars out of thin air, which it electronically deposited into commercial banks' balance sheets, and in return, the commercial banks sold securities and bonds they owned to the Fed. And the Fed injected about $2.5 trillion into the financial markets that way. But then starting in January of 2014, it began reducing, or as I said, the Fed prefers to say tapering, those purchases so that by October of 2014, it stopped its purchases altogether. It did, however, keep reinvesting the proceeds from the maturing bonds that it owned into new bonds so that it wasn't taking any money out of the system. But it wasn't putting any new money in. And it kept doing that until the end of 2017. And then what happened from that point to September 2019 is it wasn't reinvesting the proceeds from maturing bonds. It was actually taking money out of the financial system. But then a few months later, when COVID happened, clearly there was another economic crisis. So the Fed went back to doing that quantitative easing. But this time it turbocharged the quantitative easing because since then it's pushed $4.8 trillion into the financial system, almost twice as much as what it did from 2009 to 2014, and in a much shorter period of time. So that's the background, and it takes us up to last week when, as I said, the Federal Reserve announced it's going to start tapering again. And enough of me talking. David, my first question is, this $15 billion a month phase-out of Asset purchases, this tapering, is it what you expected? Is it what most economists expected?
2: Yes, Mark, indeed, this is basically what had been expected both by us, but also by economists, by financial markets. And why? Well, because the Fed did uh, really a good job to prepare markets for that. Months over months, they actually said they will announce tapering very well in advance. Then they started uh, to, to say that they're discussing tapering. And as the economy continued to recover both labor market, but also from an inflationary perspective, they continued to prepare financial markets for that. And this is probably why why it was easy to expect. And as the Fed fulfilled these expectations, that was uh, actually a good thing in terms of guiding financial markets and probably also minimizing any negative effects on financial markets.
1: Thank you, David. Well, my next question is, why is the Fed tapering? is it because of inflation? And just so our listeners know, in the 20 years up to COVID, consumer price inflation in the U.S. was rising at about 2.2% per year. But since May of this year, it's been rising at over 5%. And the average of economists who forecast it is looking for the October number that's coming out on Wednesday this week to be 5.9%. So My question is, David, is that why they're tapering because of inflation? Because it doesn't make sense to be expanding the monetary base when the economic recovery has been as good as it's been. And when you've got some serious inflation like this, isn't it like throwing gasoline onto a fire?
2: Well, yes, inflation is probably a reason that it becomes easier for the Fed to taper. At the same time, the most important driver why they started tapering, the Fed, I mean, you mentioned it, Mark, they Produced quite lots of uh, new money, uh, pushing money into the system. But what the Fed observed at the same time in the last few months, quarters, is actually that the commercial banks are bringing this money back to the Fed. So we're talking about this reverse repo business the Fed conducts with the commercial banks. And this reverse repo business, it has grown to 1.4 trillion US dollars. And that's the same amount the Fed was actually pushing into the system in the whole last year. So what the Fed has observed, it's not only that inflation is coming, that also the recovery is on track, but that this money is probably not really necessary. It's not arriving in the real economy. And probably another point on that, and this is probably much more important, is that on the housing price side, so the Fed is observed also that lots of this money is not only going back to the Fed, but bringing also other prices higher. For example, house prices that they have risen far, far above the pre-crisis levels. And so the Fed is here more cautious in terms of this asset price inflation. That's why they're reducing this tapering. Probably a last word when it comes to inflation, frankly, I mean, when the Fed is now reducing its asset purchases, it will probably do very little to inflation for the next six months. Uh, Inflation is supply-side constraint-driven right now. And this is something which needs to be addressed by the economy itself. So producing more, probably slightly less demand. And here, the Fed probably can contribute with putting less monetary stimulus into the system by reducing or by not pushing demand even further.
1: Thanks, David. My next question is, can the markets withstand this reduction in liquidity, this tapering from the Fed? And just to put it in context, the markets have generally liked quantitative easing, or at least when we had quantitative easing, they went up a lot. The S&P 500, for example, doubled from when the quantitative easing first started in 2009 to the end of tapering in 2014, and then during the next five-year period when the Fed wasn't putting any more money in. Well, actually, it must be said the S&P did go up. It went up 50%, and I suppose that's good, but the fact is in the two years since then, in the two years since the Fed has started the quantitative easing again, it's up 55%. So what you can imply from those three experiences, I think, is that the returns were higher when quantitative easing was happening. And when uh, it wasn't happening, when they were tapering, well, the returns were positive, but they weren't as good as when the Fed was doing quantitative easing. So what do you think about that, David?
2: Yeah, this is an interesting question. And of course, uh, well, the first reaction, the initial one, what we have seen last year, it's actually quite encouraging that financial markets can deal with less quantitative easing, can deal also with tapering. And therefore, the most important condition is that it's important that it's pre-announced, that it's guided uh, this tapering. This has helped definitely uh, to mitigate any negative reaction from financial markets. At the same time, you mentioned a couple of events, and here we have the issue that we have so little evidence, actually. We have not really a back and forth in tapering and quantitative easing. It is a quite recent instrument. So I think we should be careful here to basically draw already conclusions from that, What's clear, and that's like always with a monetary policy decision, when monetary policy withdrawal, or the stimulus withdrawal is premature, uh, then you get into problems for financial markets. We think that the Fed is mindful of that, and we think they will be actually quite careful withdrawing the stimulus so that financial markets can uh, deal with that.
1: Thank you, David. My final question is, and I guess it's the most important one, given that the markets are already well aware of tapering. What happens next? And I guess that's a two-part question. The first is, this tapering, is it going to be on autopilot, as I said, until next summer is when you'd expect it to complete? And perhaps most importantly, when will the Fed start to raise interest rates after that?
2: When it comes to the autopilot question, and the Fed had been already once on autopilot, now they learned also from this uh, inflexibility in their withdrawing uh, monetary stimulus So they explicitly mentioned already this last week that they can reduce or accelerate the pace of tapering. And that means, well, they might probably accelerate that when the economy is doing fine, when financial markets are doing fine, but they could also uh, slow that pace when financial markets cannot deal with this uh, tapering, with this lower asset purchases. So there is some flexibility in the Fed's framework. We think that, This slow pace is digestible for financial markets. They will end probably the quantitative easing then in mid-2022. And when it comes to interest rates, they can continue then with tightening of monetary policy. And we expect that they will rise then interest rates in September 2022. So here also have some patient look actually. How do financial markets digest that monetary policy tightening?
1: Great. Well, David, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining me. And on behalf of all our colleagues at Julius Baer, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening, and goodbye. Thank you, and goodbye.
0: You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research.